<laughs> well, you're almost 70, right? I'm 71. Unbelievable. Uh, as a matter of fact, I turned 71 today. Let's not talk about it. Really? Well, uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. You know what? Thanks. I think I'm going to use this on the show. This is good stuff. <laughs> um, okay. Folks, if um, uh, we're talking with Mark Rubenstein. He's a... Uh, He's a uh, gentleman of uh, 70 years old. <laughs> His birthday is not today, by the way. Um, well, Mark, you were born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and you're, um, from what I understand, your um, uh, childhood dream was to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. You um, Absolutely. Yeah. I Now, I remember Gil Hodges. Uh, I remember <laughs> Sandy Koufax. I remember oh, yeah. Pee Wee Reese, um, all those greats, because uh, I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut during the uh, 50s and 60s. Not too far away. Not too far away. Yeah. And um, uh, you eventually, I, uh, I, I suspect, uh, developed a love for reading and uh, you you went on to New York University. You got a degree in business admin. Then you went in the Army. Um, like I said before, you were a medic with the 82nd Airborne. Um, and then after your military, you did a – you went back to NYU uh, pre-med. Is that right? Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the experience in the Army was just so compelling. It was such a different thing. There I was uh, – a 22-year-old guy, uh, really now to me a kid, and I had experience uh, in the Army uh, stitching up and taking care of paratroopers, and I said, business administration isn't for me, so I went back to NYU and took all the pre-med courses, and luckily I was accepted at the medical school. Wow. Wow. And you you became a practicing psych, or you're still a practicing psychiatrist, aren't you? Yeah. I, okay. Yep. I became a physician. I decided uh -huh. psychiatry was the thing for me because every patient had a story to tell. There you go. A fascinating story to tell. Yeah. What what kind of um, what kind of uh, residents did you work with there? Uh, in psychiatry, did you work with um, highly mentally disturbed? Um, what kind of what kind of patient profile did you work with? Oh, we had every kind of uh, patient you can think of. We had outpatient experiences where, uh, you know, people with ordinary problems who were highly functioning, who worked and, and were married and so forth, but they had difficulties in living their life. We had inpatients, people who were uh, highly disturbed and had been hospitalized involuntarily. We had some who were voluntarily hospitalized, worked with people with alcohol and drug problems, uh, uh, adolescents, adults, uh, children, you name it. The, the mm -hmm. residency was just filled with every kind of experience you could imagine, with every kind of potential story. Yeah. Well, you're right about the stories. Um, uh, I did a little bit of, uh, as, as I was being trained for corpsmen before I went into uh, otolaryngology, um, which I became a, a tech with um mm -hmm. we we had to do the wards and uh psychiatry um was uh it was always fascinating to me because you're right every um these folks whether they're mildly or um highly uh disturbed i guess or yeah, yeah, um, um, ill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's the story and you have to listen, don't you? You have to listen to be able yeah. to diagnose, don't you? 
Well, you do. And, and what struck me about psychiatry, well, you know, I had a lot of experience in general medicine and ward medicine, outpatient medicine. You could see 20 patients uh, during the course of a day in medicine, or let's say all of them had, let's say, hypertension, high blood pressure. And basically, it was pretty much all the same. It was just a matter of mixing the medications to bring down the blood pressure, making a, a little bit, uh, you know, giving them some advice about diet and exercise, this kind of stuff. But if you had 20 patients that you'd seen in psychiatry, even if they were, let's say, all depressed, there were 20 absolutely different and compelling stories that led to the patient being where he or she was at the time you're, you're meeting with the patient. So it struck me that there are uh, so many stories and uh, having loved reading novels and so forth as, as a kid and beginning with sports novels and going into other things. Uh, psychiatry just struck me as the most fascinating medical specialty there is. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very cool. And that's kind of a neat segue into your book, Mad Dog House. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because your character, Roddy Dolan, um, kid from Brooklyn, uh, he had some problems, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Roddy Roddy Dolan, uh, his nickname was Mad Dog, yeah. uh, which is how the the title of the book, uh, Mad Dog House, it deals with with Roddy and his family uh, more in the present than the past. Although we are all products of the past, Roddy Dolan was a. Uh, the book begins really when he's twelve years old and has an altercation uh, in school, uh, but it's really about uh, him being a successful suburban surgeon who had presumably left his very, very checkered and difficult past behind him. Uh, it was a past so filled with uh, unsavory things that he almost landed in prison at age 17 uh, for an attempted burglary with a, a couple of friends. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the book begins. Um, and, and then when he's in his uh, early to mid-40s, and he has become a very successful surgeon by virtue of the fact that a a sympathetic judge, and when it came time to sentencing him uh, for this uh, attempt burglary, gives him a choice, uh, either three years in the Army or two years in a penal institution. So he wisely chooses the Army <laughs> and ends up uh, becoming a paratrooper and a ranger. And he has to learn, among many other things, as do all the rangers, he has to learn field surgery. Fascinated, he ends up going to college after discharge, and becomes a doctor and married a wonderful woman, uh, Tracy, and they're living in a suburban uh, community outside of New York City, and they have two kids. And lo and behold, the past pops up uh, for Roddy Mad Dog Dolan uh, <laughs> in the form of one Kenny Egan, who yeah. uh, back in the old days was known as Kenny McGurk. He changed his name and changed his look. <laughs> He comes in from Las Vegas, and uh, he's a, a restaurant manager, and he's looking to open up a steakhouse in midtown Manhattan. And he offers Roddy an opportunity to become a silent partner in a New York City chop house. And Roddy's very wary, very unsure, so he consults with his lifelong Kimasabi, his best friend and blood brother, Danny Burns, who he knows really from pre-memory, and um, they decide to just become silent partners and put in a relatively small amount of money, at least for them, and then things really go bad. <laughs> it's the good fellows all over again, isn't it? <laughs> in a way. I mean, uh, you know, needless to say, there are uh, uh, mafia uh, uh, thugs and, and Russian honchos uh, who are frequenting the restaurant, and 
and before they know it, the lives that Roddy and Danny were living, both uh, suburban guys originally from Brooklyn, uh, with checkered past, but before they know it, their lives uh, are, the lives as they knew them are over, and it can never go back to what it was, and, and uh that's really where the heart of the story is, and, and you know, what do these two guys have to do to save themselves, uh, their families, their loved ones, and, and to get out of this fix that they've inadvertently fallen into? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, what I got, um, you know, I grew up back east, like, I, you know, we talked and uh, grew up during the 50s and 60s. I still have a great amount of friends that... Uh, Hell, I haven't seen him for years, but I could pick up the phone today, you know, talk to him like it was yesterday. That kind of childhood um, uh, loyalty or whatever, um, uh, you you really do find that in in stories like this, especially New York – uh, with the mob scene and so on and so forth, those those relationships last for forever, don't they? Um, yeah, you know, one of the themes of the book, if you if you can assign it to some thematic infrastructure, sure. is simply is is we never really leave our pasts behind us. We we bring our pasts, uh, namely ourselves and and who we've been and what experiences we've had. We bring these things with us wherever we go, no matter how much we think we've changed, and we do make some changes. Uh, I can tell you as a psychiatrist, people are capable of changes, but the core essence still stays there. And Roddy brings some of that mad dog with him into his now transformed adult life. And uh, it's uh, the mad dog, uh, will or will not the mad dog emerge, and will or will not uh, Roddy go to extreme measures to extricate himself and Danny and their families from uh, the danger that accompanies uh, this venture into the steakhouse. And, and uh but we never leave our pasts behind us. Uh, they, they, we can make a few changes. We can uh, pretend that it's gone. But we are who we are, and, uh, you know, it's in the DNA. And, and there's always this controversy in psychiatry and, and uh, elsewhere, too. Is it nature or nurture? Are, are we the way we are because it's just our nature, it's in our DNA, or is nurturing really uh, the most important thing in shaping and forming uh, us as people, our personalities? And in my opinion, it's a combination of both. I mean, we can't leave our DNA behind, and we can't leave our nurturing behind. And Roddy Dolan had a terrible childhood, a father who died uh, in Attica prison, a mother who was an alcoholic and ignored him, and her boyfriend uh, brutally beat Roddy and even tortured him in a way uh, as a kid. And this uh, had to have effects on him. It scarred him, and, and to some extent... Perhaps not as bad as Roddy's, but uh, to some extent, uh, we all carry some childhood scars with us. Yeah, we do. Um, I was uh, I went to parochial school up until mm-hmm. eighth grade. Then I went to seminary. Uh, I actually got recruited to to go to Father Judge Mission Seminary in Monroe, Virginia, um, when I was like thirteen or something. And uh, but I'll never forget. You know, I- as much as I. As much as I still carry the weight of being a um, a Catholic uh, boy that uh, uh, was you know taught by the nuns, uh, raised mm-hmm. Catholic, um, as was my wife. Yeah, uh, she was taught by the Ursuline nuns. It's still with her. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still carry this. Uh, I still carry this martyr thing. Sometimes, sometimes I find myself. You know, why are you really doing this, Greg? You know, why? 
what are you doing, really? Well, I blame it on the nuns, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, to some extent, you know, Roddy's best friend, Danny, yes. uh, retains, as I, I think you know, having read the book, yes. he retains a certain kind of, of uh, a strict moral code. He's something of a perfectionist. He's a CPA, an accountant. Yes. So he's very taken up with numbers, and everything has to balance, including his moral compass. And uh, when Danny and Roddy are doing their best to get out of the fix they're in, he at one point feels like falling down on his knees and reciting the prayer of contrition because he, he realizes they are in some very bad stuff up to their 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 chins. And uh, he, he certainly can't leave his past behind, and he certainly uh, has deep, deep qualms, moral, ethical qualms about uh, what's going on, how they've gotten involved, and what the plan is that they're uh, contriving to, to get out of this fix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we uh, were all taught right and wrong, you know, as kids. Absolutely. Uh, we know, you know, we knew and we know what's right and wrong, but, you know, there's something about the past sometimes that, that brings you into a situation where, eh, you know, my judgment may not be too good at this point. But I can surely relate to your characters um, in Mad uh, Doghouse. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up during that time, and uh, my father was in uh, construction um, after, the, after serving in the, the Philippines in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was a builder, and they built post um uh, Post uh, World War II homes, single family homes around Stamford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, Pop Pop never really liked what he was doing. Uh, he wanted to paint. He wanted to become an artist. And he, but he stayed in the business because he knew it. Because he was committed. But I think when he was fifty or forty five, he said, "You know, the hell with this. I'm go- I'm going to do what the hell I want." And he became a gallery artist. And he became a very well known gallery artist. Uh, but he always had his past haunting him. Always. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my father was a beautiful man, uh, very uh, hard uh, childhood, did not grow up in a very secure childhood at all. His father was nuts. But um, but Pop Carey all, all this. We all are. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm just saying, you know, you're right. You're right. We, we do carry this stuff with us throughout our lives. And... Um, you know, it takes uh, it takes uh, concentration, I think, uh, to 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 be able to stand back and look at ourselves and see what we're doing, and which leads me to a question that I have. You know, I've interviewed so many guys like you who have had past careers and past lives, and then all of a sudden, you know, forget it. I'm going to do this. Did something happen with you, Mark, that made you? decide to get out of what you were doing and into this other career? Because um, your book is very good, and you've got a lot of life experience. I, I can't wait till you write more. But why did you well, start writing? Uh, well, or, or, uh, what, what were you going to say about the next one? I'm I, sorry. I, the, the next one is coming out in September uh, of this year, and it's called Love Gone Mad. I noticed right. I retained the mad in there. Yes. Uh, it's a totally different story. It's a standalone novel. Uh, uh, but to get back to your question... Uh, what made me uh, start really writing? This this is my first novel. Mad Dog right. House is the first uh, uh, real creative effort on my part. And I can tell you that things happened uh, 
that, that made me come to certain conclusions. And, uh, you know, in a way, your dad was very fortunate that at age 40, 45, he decided to get out and pursue uh, his what was really his real love. Mm-hmm. I, I, at the risk of being a little uh, long-winded, let me tell you, as a kid, I not only loved Gil Hodges, but I was so taken with my fantasies about you know playing ball for the Dodgers. I used to imagine being a friend of his, and because he lived in Brooklyn uh, in those days, you know, ball players lived where they where they uh, played ball. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I used to see him down at Coney Island. He, there were contests uh, who could hit a ball farther than Gil, uh, on and on. And, and uh, so I ended up reading sports fiction. I mean, I played high school uh, baseball. I played Army baseball. But, uh, you know, to be a pro, I, I, way out of my league. Bottom line is I began to read voraciously. I lived vicariously. I read voraciously. Mm-hmm. And uh, I developed a love not just for sports fiction, but for all fiction. My new heroes, as I got to be a little older, became people like Ernest Hemingway and Edgar Allan Poe. And and I sort of left baseball behind a bit. Bottom line is that when I went into psychiatry, uh, I I had this notion that someday I'd write a novel. And I I think it's a very common fantasy people have. Uh, Someday, and the someday sort of never comes. Mm-hmm. When I present cases uh, at seminars or at uh, case presentations, the supervisors said that my case histories and, and uh, my, re- my telling of the cases of patients sounded like novels. And uh, it, it sort of bolstered this sense that I would someday write a novel. I went into forensic psychiatry because these people had extraordinary stories. These were people who had survived 9-11 mm-hmm. or who had survived airplane crashes, things that are beyond the range of ordinary or usual human circumstances, uh, stuff that ordinary, regular psychiatry uh, doesn't really encounter. You know, So there, too, the stories were so compelling, and when I'd write up the cases and then have to go to court to testify, judges and attorneys said that the cases came alive when I presented them to the jury. Uh, they, they sort of leaped out of the witness box as stories, even though they were absolutely true. It was the way I told them on paper and, in, and verbally. Well, I worked as a psychiatrist over and over. The years passed by, and when I was 68 years old, going on 69, my wife uh, was diagnosed with a very rare uh, and severe aggressive kind of cancer. She's fine now. She underwent massive treatments of virtually every kind. By the time I turned 70, I said to myself, wow, how, how many good years do I have left? And what what is there in life that I really want to do? And I, the, the realization really struck home for me that life is fragile, uh, very, very unpredictable, and above all, finite. And I sat down, I said, I'm going to do... The dream was deferred for, I don't know, 60 years, and I finally sat down and wrote this novel and decided to uh, stop uh, uh, practicing psychiatry. And here I am, uh, just turning 71, and I've written the first novel, Mad Dog House, uh, Love Gone Mad is coming out in September, and then the next one is going to be a sequel to Mad Dog House called Mad Dog Justice. 
because, as you know, uh, Greg, the ending of Mad Dog House leaves certain unresolved issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, sorry well. for the long-winded response, but my, my pathway to becoming a full-time novelist was long and arduous and was deferred for many years. Well... Actually, yeah, yeah. Life is unpredictable, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it certainly, I would. I would never, even a year ago, have imagined I'd be on the phone with Greg Grasso oh. talking about Mad Dog House <laughs> and 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 you know on the radio and this and that uh. and and that this novel would would get the kind of reception. It's got 142 Amazon reviews with an average of 4.8 out of five stars. I mean, I am stunned. I can't believe it. Well, I went on. I went on last night to Huffington, or this morning at Huffington Post, but last night onto Amazon. Your uh, 318-page book uh, is a hit. I can tell you right now because you've got more damn reviews on on Amazon that uh, most uh, well like Lee, Lee Child's new book doesn't even have that many reviews on Oh he will he'll have a, a couple Yeah of but he doesn't right now Mark <laughs> he doesn't right now <laughs> So um no man I I you know I I blog for uh, like David Baldacci and Jeffrey Deaver uh-huh. uh, uh, I've interviewed them a couple of times and uh I, I want to get together with you guys back east someday because um, I'm a, I'm an amateur chef, right? And I love oh, I uh, love talking to you guys from uh, New England, especially Connecticut and New York, because you get it, okay? You get okay. it. You grew up with that food. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. My wife's a real foodie. She is yeah. a fantastic. She's a an amateur chef, but you know she did spend a few weeks at the Kump, uh, what was then called the Kump School of Cooking. Yeah. And boy, she, she I, I am the beneficiary of her culinary efforts, let me tell you. <laughs> I should weigh 400 pounds, but I oh, don't. Oh, <laughs> No, you don't. No, you don't. I saw a picture of you. Uh, you know what? It uh, looks like we're about out of time, but... Uh it, it it really has been a pleasure talking with you. I, I, um, uh, your uh, your book, Mad Dog House, is is uh, absolutely uh, a great read. I, I mean, it really is a good read. And uh, I I kind of specialize with thriller and suspense writers. And oh, okay. Uh, I see yeah. you. No, really. No, no, really. I mean, I see. I believe you. Look I... at man. Look at Tess Gerritsen. You've heard of her. She, yes, yes. Well, she was an MD for crying out loud. She got pregnant. She said, "Eh, I think I'll write." Kathy Reichs, forensic mm-hmm. forensic uh, scientist, anthropology, anthropology. Yep. Mm-hmm. Eh, I think mm-hmm. I'll write. Baldacci, lawyer. Eh, I'll write. Um, mm-hmm. um, Deaver, lawyer. Eh, Steve Barry, lawyer. Eh. Well, here's Mark Rubenstein. Everybody, this guy uh, got a good thing going here, and uh, I encourage everybody to to pick up this read as quick as they can. Um, uh, can I give you my website, Greg? Please, absolutely. Okay, sure. It's uh, Mark Rubenstein, that's M-A-R-K-R-U-B-I-N-S-T-E-I-N hyphen author dot com. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, and I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, you know, all these social media, all this <laughs> modern stuff today that uh, uh, people obsess over. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the editor said, you got to get on this stuff and you got to get with it. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate, Mark. Uh, you, you're going to learn, as I have learned over the past couple of years, uh, this social media is, um, is, is just the new way. And uh, you've, yep. got, you've, got a, you've got a good connection with your, uh, with your PR firm, your publicists. I think they're doing a hell of a job for you. Yeah, and, they just got me on Psychology Today. Yeah. Uh, it's called Tales from the Couch. Oh, God. And I'll be blogging for them. Oh, crap. I'll, 
I'll be you blogging be for uh, Huffington Post. I got another one uh, uh, coming out. Uh, the first one was was uh, last week, and uh, another one will be coming out very soon for Valentine's Day called The Gift. The Gift. And, yeah, The oh, Gift. I, I and, love uh, it. Yeah, it's about uh, my wife Linda's cancer and how ultimately it turned out to be a gift for the two of us. Um, it made us recommit and, and uh, renew a certain sense of belonging to each other. Uh, you, you have to take the good with the bad, and you have to do the best you can to turn the bad into good. There's some homespun non-wisdom for you. Oh, man, you, you've got, uh, I've got a lump in my throat now because, uh, honestly, that's the same kind of thing I went through my father when my father was dying. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, it was at that point where I really connected with him. You know, I mean, well, that's not an uncommon story, Greg. No, it's not. uh, It's not. Nobody gets out of this life alive. And uh, if if we live long enough, we lose loved ones. And it's part of just living this life. And it makes us appreciate things much more deeply. And even the threat of of, uh, losing someone, as occurred with Linda and me, it it changes. You talk about people changing. It changes some of the ways in which you look at the world and, and the way you look at your husband or wife and, and, and uh, you know, it comes with age. I sometimes, I, I curse myself. I say, gee, I wish I knew then what I know now. No, no, no. <laughs> no. You know what? You know what? I hear that all the time, but you know. you know as well as I do, you turn left, something happens. You turn right, something else That's happens. Right. We wouldn't even be talking. We wouldn't even be talking right now. Life is predictable, ladies and gentlemen. Um, special thanks go out to NPR and uh, KISU staff uh, manager Jamin Anderson for making this uh, program possible. On behalf of the Marshall Public Library, this is Greg Grasso thanking novelist Mark Rubenstein for spending time with us today. And uh, you can uh, pick up his book anywhere that you can Google. Folks, thanks a lot, Mark. God bless and uh, great talking to you. You too, Greg. Take care. All right. Ciao, ciao.